Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Izzy, and I'll be sharing the stories of industry leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs paving a path for future generations to come. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Yellow Brick, which empowers dreamers to achieve their calling. With programs in film, performing arts, streetwear, music, sneakers, and so many more, it's truly taking their students and teaching them their passions, turning their passion into side hustle, and turning their side hustle into careers. So if you're interested, check them out at yellowbrick.co. Honesty Hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started today. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Obviously, Izzy is on today. I have an industry expert on today, which is awesome. Um, I love having experts on. I love having people that have paved the path for the next generation on. And um, D Wells has done just that. So D, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me today. Well, Izzy, thanks for having me on. More importantly, and I love the podcast. I love what you're doing. Um, as I say, as human beings, all that we are are storytellers, and that's exactly what you are. So thank you for uh, inviting another storyteller to join you to share a little bit of what I've done and and how we can uh, figure out how to guide and share our knowledge. I love the fact that you say story, storyteller, because it's something that is just massively overlooked. Um, we can look in, in a brand uh, such as Adidas buying Reebok and not throwing too much story into the product that they've done. And there's just been kind of a, a lapse in or almost a, a hiccup in the road Um towards Reebok product and and classics in general. Whereas if I look at a classic, I have a story in my head that immediately gravitates me toward a shoe. Whether I have it or not, I I want to buy it. So what about story are you so obsessed with and how did that start? Mm, um, I just love hearing stories because I I heard so many uh, while growing up in, in the Caribbean particularly in the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, coming from that Caribbean household and upbringing, kids were, um, we were only, you know, we only spoke when we were spoken to. And when we weren't spoken to, we were observers. I was an observer all the time. And particularly, I was always listening to the elders, be it my grandparents and their friends that they had over at their house, because they were always entertaining um, friends, colleagues at their house it just seemed to be a gathering place and and then certainly with my parents as well so i I definitely say the my caribbean um upbringing allowed me to take in a lot of stories and then uh in more private time 
I would go to my grandparents or parents and say, um, not that I was ear hustling, I didn't call it this back then, but, you know, what did you mean when you said so-and-so, you know, to Mr. Smith or, 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 or Miss, Mrs. Smith? And if it was appropriate, they would explain and break it down to me. And when they told me to basically mind your business, <laughs> it was, you know, <laughs> that's, not, that's none of your business. You know, that's, not, that's for grown folks. So um, luckily, I think more of those conversations and stories revolved around lessons that um, or experiences that people had that I was able to listen to and glean things from and learn. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's what that means or that's what that person did in that scenario. And I would just file that stuff away. And I still do that to this day. Um, my grandmother, who lived to be 95 years old and had a third grade education, used to always say you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, to listen more than you speak. So that ties in directly for me into being a storyteller now because it's true. It's, as human beings, all we are are storytellers. Um, but I, I, I took in a lot of information. Like I'm such a, um, uh, audiophile that I'm always listening to music or have a, you know, a, a song or a tune in my head. And I realize when I don't have music around me, I'm not happy. I don't experience mm -hmm. joy. So, you know, like a podcast, just like a steel pen or calypso or reggae or hip-hop or r&b or rock and roll i'm always taking in audio aka stories and interpreting them so um yeah my upbringing definitely had an effect on you know i call myself an obsessed storyteller and um it took a while to get there to realize that that's what i am that's what i love to do that's what brings me joy and then it's to help other people to kind of pull out and share their stories because um, we all have stories to tell. We all, all have stories to share and uh, people can learn from them. Just like I learn from you, you learn from me and we truly all can um, help each other and teach each other. I love that. You said something that's interesting that I'm going to make sure that we hit on. Uh, later on in the podcast and it it kind of correlates with you going the entrepreneur route but before we go into that do you want to for anybody that's listening they're five minutes right. in now <laughs> they don't know some people may know who d wells is uh, right. which i wouldn't be surprised but some people won't so do you want to give a, an intro as to who d is um what he does and why he does it wow um so uh, my, my birth name is Dijon. Um, Dijon Wells was born in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, grew up on the island of St. John. And for a long period of time, I commuted to go to school um, from one island to the next. And I give that backstory because when people, you know, are stateside in the United States talk about you know, them getting up at 5 a.m. and trudging to the bus stop and things like that. While I never had to do it in the midst of cold weather, I did have to do it in terms of uh, I came from a, a family of, of workers. Um, my mother was a public school teacher for 33 years. Um, 
my biological father and my mother uh, separated, eventually divorced when I was eight. My mom reconnected with her high school sweetheart, the man that stepped in and truly raised me um, and became the father that I needed in my life. Uh, unfortunately, he died two weeks before my 18th birthday. And that left a profound effect on who I um, became and who I am today because um, I had a really good uh, background in life in the Caribbean. You know, we had my, my, my father, uh, Winston Wells, uh, and there's a ballpark in St. John that bears his name because he did so much in the community and um, was very instrumental in bringing Little League Baseball and eventually softball for girls and boys to St. John, uh, that when he died, they decided to name the ballpark after him. And um, my parents worked their ass off. My father was a fireman. He was a captain in the fire department. But they had the mindset of having a business, and that's where I got to see and experience a lot of things we had uh, at one point, a grocery store, but the business that left the most, uh, that, like really where I learned the most about life and people was in our restaurant. We had a Caribbean-American restaurant. And um, that all changed when I'm getting ready to, quote-unquote, graduate from high school and leave. My father dies. All of a sudden, I say to my mom, hey, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay here in the Virgin Islands. I'm going to go to the University of the Virgin Islands in St. Thomas get a degree in, in business administration and help you run the business. My mother had, didn't want to hear any of that. She was like, no, you have, to go, you have to go live your life. You have to do what you've always aspired to do, which was to leave and go off to college. Um, so I did. Went to college uh, in Rhode Island and have stayed in the New England area, um, in particularly in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Um, I've had multiple careers. <laughs> at one point, my first job was a hall director at Boston College, managing a freshman residence hall. Hmm. Um, and I thought I wanted to become a dean of students or vice president for student affairs in higher ed. And the more and more um, I looked at it and I started a graduate program, I was like, I'm not, I'm not as passionate about it as I thought I was. So then I switched from higher ed program into an MBA program. Uh, never completed it. We started at, at Boston College. Um, and I say that that's one of the ways to, one way to get an education for free, and I tell people this all the time, is to work at a college university. That's a reverse hack. That's a hustle that if you are an employee of a college university, you can take classes for free. So can your significant other or spouse and even children. Um, so I always tell people, if you don't know what you want to do, get a job working at a college university and then take some classes and figure that out. Obviously now as we deal with the pandemic, things have changed quite a bit with higher ed, right? But mm -hmm. nonetheless, you can still learn. Really wanted to work for Nike. Uh, once I left higher ed, I became a recruiter, um, for inroads, working with, um, black, brown, Asian, Native American uh, youth, helping them get internships and eventually jobs. But all along, I, I had this thing with sneakers from a young age. It really started 
1979 in St. Thomas with my biological father and my mom, then playing tennis and wearing Adidas sneakers, Rod Lavers and Stan Smith. And I just, there was something that caught my attention eye about those sneakers that cast me on this kind of path of being a, I didn't know it at the time, a sneaker aficionado, a sneaker head, you know, uh, whatever you want to call with sneakers, I just love fresh kicks. And I would buy the sneakers and I would do whatever possible to get the sneakers even shipped to me from the of the United States to the Virgin Islands for basketball, cleats for football or soccer, um, all the gear. I mean, uh, I, I, I grew up with sneakers and I really backed into it. I, I tried to get a marketing job at Nike, and I remember applying, and they basically said to me that I wasn't qualified because I didn't have enough experience. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I know I don't have any experience. I just recently graduated college. I have this degree in in business and a minor in computers, but I know sneakers and storytelling. This is 1996, 1997. Um, so I was like, okay, again, I'm trying to figure my pathway out. And then, um, you know, all along, I tried different things. I, I was part of a, a, a group that created a mortgage bank. So I went into that, had a really good run, but got out of the business because uh, people got greedy, as well as um, this is when the dot-com bubble was just about to pop, and I kind of foresaw that coming. Um, so I got out of the mortgage industry business, went back into recruiting, eventually went back into higher ed, and while working in higher ed at the College of the Holy Cross, I came across a message board called Nike Talk. And it was like a eureka, oh shit moment that there are other people like me that are into sneakers that have been into sneakers just as long, if not even longer, and have some amazing stories to tell connected to these, you know, these, these sneakers, these kicks. And I, I, don't, I wish I could remember what it was, but I just remember we're like um, Ben Baller, DJ AM, rest in peace. Um, that whole AM, AMG crew that was like, they would post some amazing photos on Thursdays for Throwback Thursdays. And people would just go crazy. And I'd be like, I had those sneakers or I still have those sneakers. Hmm. So... I remember getting my little probably two megapixel camera, digital camera, taking pictures of some of my sneakers. And I remember saving them for Throwback Thursday, posting them, and people were, were like, how do you still have these? I was like, oh, these Air Flight 90s? Yeah, I've had those since 1990. Oh, those Cortez? Oh. Yeah, I have those since 1983. Um, original Jordan 8 um, that I actually played in in college. Uh, intramural basketball, or my, my Bordeaux 7s that I beat one pair. I loved them so much that I went and bought a second pair and put them on ice, and I still have them to this day. So I kind of backed into it when you talk about, like, sneakers. And then through that, um, on Nike Talk, I basically met Steve Mulholland, Alex Wang, a.k.a. Retro Kid, uh, Anthony Gilbert, and the beautiful idea for creating a magazine, which went from a bunch of 
crappy names to eventually us selling on Soul Collector was born. And the first issue was published in 2003. And it was like, it, it took a while for the companies and brands to understand what we're doing, but all we were doing at Soul Collector was taking what we saw being done at Sneaker Jack and Boom, which are magazines coming out of Asia, and now doing it in the United States in English. Basically a sneaker lifestyle magazine telling stories of collectors all over. And then the idea of doing these sneaker battles, competitions, in conjunction with Nike and at Nike Towns travel, basically a traveling show, to basically bring people together is what we did. We just wanted to have a sneaker party. And the, the, the hook was sneakers. And it just, oh, man, it took off. It really, like, you know, it took me to places like, you know, Nike Town, Chicago, where I eventually met people like Dave Jeff, Kanye West, Don C., well before some of those names were well-known in the industry. I mean, they were known in Chicago, but outside of Chicago, not so much yet. Um, introduced me to finally be able to meet DJ Clark Kent, who I had known about him because of my connection to Brooklyn and connection to Biggie, living two blocks over at one point from where Big lived in Brooklyn. You know, I lived on Clinton Ave between Gates and Green. He lived on St. James between Gates and Green, Biggie. And I would see him on the corner of Fulton, just freestyling. Wow. This is 92, 93. You know, this is when he's blowing up. Um, when, um, when he was on... Super cat Dolly, my baby. I was like, I know this dude. I know this this, <laughs> this cat. They called him Notorious B.I.G. or Biggie Smalls because I would see him outside the barber shop on 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 you know uh, it'd be Waverly, Waverly Ave in Fulton, just chilling, you know. And I'd go downtown Brooklyn and see everyone from Bismarcky to Big Daddy Kane to uh, to special ed, I mean, it, it, so, again, it, it, it's always my path with sneakers and doing what I'm doing now, working with all the brands, working with Dwayne Edwards and Pencil, Sean Williams, my, my partner, my brother, um, it, it's had a lot of twists and turns, but um, it's been an amazing journey like that as I'm saying it out loud I'm like wow it's been an amazing journey it's been an amazing walk and you know I thank God for that every day I've met some amazing people because of sneakers it's crazy that we almost don't even give ourselves the credit until we start talking about the the journey that we've been on and right. especially as entrepreneurs um, you don't really you're you're working you're hustling you're whatever word you want to use for it you're working so hard every day that it takes a podcast or it takes telling somebody about your job and how you got there to say damn i've done all that mm-hmm. and that's it's it's huge especially for uh creatives it's like we we constantly have our heads down and we're working and that's where kind of imposter syndrome might come in or anything like that. <laughs> and then 
all of a sudden you're like, damn, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But then if you go, if you just take five minutes, put everything down and take five minutes and look back at everything you've accomplished to this point, you'd be like, damn, okay, let's get rolling again. Right. So really quick, before we get too far into your journey, mm-hmm. you mentioned you picked up a camera and yeah. in reading and doing research on you, it seemed like that moment was instrumental towards your career growth and where Absolutely. you wanted to go. So why was picking up that camera so so big for you? Right. And it, it wasn't even me picking up the camera. It was, it was Winston, my father, um, placing the camera in my hand and saying, this thing allows you to capture moments in time. And that's all he said, but it was so profound because he had been in the, um, in the Navy. And when he was in the Navy in different ports, particularly he was actually at one point um, stationed in Hawaii. Um, and he would show me some old pictures that he took. Uh, and then fast forward to, I think it was 1985 or 1986. Um, we, had a, we took a family trip. It was kind of weird, but nonetheless, it was also it was a convention that my mother was a part of for the business professional women, DPW was being held in Hawaii. And um, because it was Hawaii, we turned it into a family trip. So all of my cousins and relatives, we went. And I remember him taking us to places where he had visited when he was in the Navy and stationed in Hawaii. And he had pictures of those places. And he was able to show me those pictures and say, look how it looked then. This is in um, the early 70s to look what it looks like now in, say, 86, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it looks so different because of the architecture, new buildings, where there was no, nothing there. Now there's something there or vice versa. But that camera gave me the opportunity to capture a moment in time. I, am, I could barely draw to save my life. So that's not my forte. That's not my strength. I suck at drawing, but I could take a dope picture that I'm capturing, you know, something that I'm seeing, but hopefully someone will see something else. And that's, that's what I love about photography. So, you know, more and more photography um, came from that moment at, you know, I was age 10 him placing that camera in my hand. And yes, I was, you know, the kid that I was, always taking Polaroid when we eventually got a Polaroid camera, developing film. Um, fast forward, I needed a summer job, um, summer of 92. And because of a connection to someone who knew uh, someone that had a, a film production company, I got a, a job at a, a, as a production assistant for EUE Screen Gems in New York City, which uh, eventually uh, produced or worked on Guiding Light Soap Opera, and they were doing Visa MasterCard commercials as well as Kmart commercials. And then I got to see another side. I got to see not just the photography side, which everything in filmmaking applies, but now I got to see the filmmaking side and then actually see a commercial that I worked on as a production assistant be on TV, not just in the county of the United States, but even in the Caribbean, my mom. I would say, Ma, look out for this Kmart commercial. And I described 
what it was, and eventually she saw it on TV. She's like, oh, wow, I saw it. Like, I saw that <laughs> Tima commercial or that Visa MasterCard, um, you know, commercial. Uh, that was, again, filmmaking, photography was so it's, – it's been such a big part of my life. You know, I was, I was saying actually last night to a friend of mine, I was like, I miss taking photographs. Like, I don't – I haven't – the last time I picked up my, my, my camera – so to speak, outside of my smartphone camera, um, was in September. And wow. that was only because my younger cousin uh, was getting married. And of course, I had to take my camera with me at that point in time because that's what I do. Um, but yeah, I miss it. I miss taking photographs. I miss the whole process of you know, importing the files, bringing them into Lightroom, editing them, exporting them, and then sharing them. So, Wow. It's... It's crazy the the impact an object can have on someone's journey. And mm. the, I mean, anybody who listens um, or has listened in the past to Strange on Purpose knows that um, one of the co-founders of my former business, uh, Brema, who's now the founder of Unfinished Legacy, it, it he picked up a camera and he went from being an immigrant from Africa to not being good at school to not knowing what he was going to do and picking up a camera, using his student loans to pick up a camera and that, that changed his life. Mm. He went from being a college dropout to all of a sudden Amex reaching out to partner with him, Levi's reaching out to partner with him and Kohl's and all these big brands and it was just simply having that object in his life to that really got him jump started to kind of get more to get creative to to access that creative being that was already inside of him to being this being featured in art shows and everything like that to now owning the streetwear brand and really showing that you can do it from your home city and you don't have to go to a New York, LA, Chicago. You can do it from a place like Milwaukee. So it's it's mm. that's really really cool. But moving into the sneaker industry, and mm. you hit on something. You said that the recruiter from Nike told you that you didn't have experience before we actually <laughs> move into sneakers. Let's hit this. So the recruiter said you didn't have experience. And I think this is, uh, I think I would like to get your thoughts on it since you've worked in higher ed. Mm -hmm. This is something that a lot of kids are running into these days. They have oh, degrees. Ooh. And it, luckily, I, I positioned myself in a different way. So I didn't have to deal with this. But I do, I have close individuals in my life that are still dealing with it where they were told for so long to get good grades, get your degree, and you'll get a job. Right. But when and, you, and, yeah, <laughs> like today, you're sitting here, we're, we're all sitting in our houses and there's people that are looking for jobs that did just that. They went to, they went to school, they got good grades, they had a job on the side to pay for little bills, but they got good grades, 4.0s, and they got that piece of paper and they can't find anything because right. the recruiters are telling them exactly what they told you, D. They said, you don't have experience. So how do we combat that? How do we figure out a better way for people, people to 
break into industries that they might not be experienced in. Mm. And while they might have studied something like sneakers or sports management or anything, just because they don't have five years of experience as an entry level for an entry level role means they can't get into an industry. It just seems right. almost wrong. It is. It, it really is. And I remember when the recruiter told me that I said, well, I could learn it and I could bring my, you know, I didn't say this, but I thought this and I felt it at the time. I felt really, I felt very frustrated, very upset. And then I said, you know what? At some point, I'm going to show them. I almost had that chip on my shoulder. And now more than ever, because of the cost of education continuing to go up, and it's absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this as, as a parent that has, you know, a, a child in college, third year, and it's crazy expensive, right? So I'm not, I want to be completely transparent about that. Um, those old rules, and I, I used to say this when I worked at Boston College, and I said this when I worked at College of the Holy Cross. I said, just because you go to this institution or a school, a, a, you know, a college university, doesn't guarantee you a good job. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all the professors and PhDs and would argue with me, and I said, but you know what will always trump, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> Um, education, I said, hustle, ambition, and a willing to not take no for an answer. And they're like, yeah, 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 but. And I was like, there's no but there. And that but, I realized that mentality of not saying no or not accepting no really came from or comes from my mother and then my grandmother. So earlier in the podcast, I said that my grandmother, who lived to be 95, had a third grade education. The reason she had a third grade education is because she dropped out of school to take care of her younger siblings. This is in the British Virgin Islands and eventually moved from Tortola to St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgin Islands, right? Mm-hmm. And she was taking care of them by, by being, she cleaned homes, she took care of, of people's children. She had multiple jobs. So I saw that modeled. So... That became ingrained in, in my spirit, in my soul, even to this day. So anyone that wants to do something, you have to, if you want to be good at anything in life, you have to be obsessed with it to the point where people really think you're crazy. And you have to learn to turn the volume down on the no and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I got to do. So I'll give you a quick story. I heard no when I tried to become a hall director at Boston College. I heard a lot of no's actually because I didn't have a master's in higher ed, a master's in sociology or psychology, which most of those positions required. They still to this day require masters, right? So here I was coming right out of school with a degree in business, wanted to be a hall director. Everyone was telling me no. I went to a conference in Boston at the time, National Association of Student Personnel Administrators, and I was applying for jobs and was getting shot down. And I remember, I, for some reason, I just set my sights on BC. And um, I just loved the campus. I knew it was in Boston, Chestnut Hill, blah, blah, blah. I remember getting a no, but I researched 
the the, the hiring um, manager. His name was Robert Jose, Bob Jose, and I remember him saying to me, "Come see me in a couple years after you get your master's degree." And I said to him, "I said, Bob, respectfully, if you invite me to campus." I guarantee you that everyone will like me and that you'll want to hire me for this hall director job. I got really, really bold because I had to shoot my shot. And something just in my soul and spirit said that. Don't you know they invited me to campus? I was on campus for probably about five hours and met with everyone from health services to student affairs, res life, to athletics. And I was going up against other candidates and they were hiring for three positions. Um, and they had well over, you know, probably 30 applicants. Bob called me to tell me that everyone that I met that day, all they could do other than they just were talking about me. And they're like, yes, he doesn't have his master's degree. Yes, he wants to pursue it. He can do this job right now. I was an RA for three of my four years in undergrad in college, right? Yeah. It just came natural to me. It really did. But I also had good hall directors and good training. And again, it goes back to my Caribbean roots, just being a problem solver. It's common sense stuff to me is how I, I ran my, you know, my floor of 50 guys or building of 400 people. Um, so I was not willing to take no. So I tell people now, if you want to get some experience, find someone that you really, really admire and want to work with and tell them, I want to come and work with you and be willing to work for free, work your ass off and learn as much and then go and take that knowledge and apply for those jobs. Because more than likely, you're one going to get experience and then figure out, do you truly love this thing? Or mm -hmm. did you have the rosy glasses on thinking about it in one light? And now that you're on the inside, you can see it differently, right? Um, the old way of thinking of going to college, getting good grades, getting a job, that is gone. That is That was gone probably 10 years prior to the pandemic. Now with the pandemic, yep. oh, it's obliterated. I, I, it's obliterated. Like, now is the time where you have to have multiple <clears throat> um, jobs, if you want to call it that. You have to have multiple hustles. Those words are interchangeable for me. Again, it's a joke, but it's so true. Caribbean people, we never just have one job. Yep. You may have two. You may have three. We have four. I know people who are teachers drive a taxi, clean homes, and then also have real estate investment property. That all adds to their, what, their income and the things that they love to do, the life that they want to build. So we're, we're, you know, we're curators of our life. So curate what you love to do, connect with people, respect people. You can agree to disagree. Um, also know when to you know, to cut the line and say, you know what, this is not working anymore. I got to go. I love you. I respect you, but I'm going to go do something else. You know, um, 
I know people right now at Nike who are just laid off. Some of them working 20 plus years. Jobs gone because of the pandemic. I know people at New Balance, same thing. They're now looking for their next opportunity. Some brilliant, amazing people, but because of, I guess it goes back to, uh, because of the pandemic, but it goes back to the, don't put all your eggs in one basket thing. Um, That's what I learned at a young age too. I hope that all like blends and makes sense. So don't be afraid to volunteer. Raise your hand and tell someone, hey, listen, I love what you do. Uh, slide into someone's DM on Instagram, on Twitter, or research them now. I mean, the Internet is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Just like you <laughs> research me, we can research, you know, other people that we want to partner with and work with. Don't be afraid to do that. I love that. It's, uh, it's advice that I wish I had uh, before going into school. Um, mm. Fortunately, it's it's... It's worked itself out, um, but un- I, I think fortunately as well, you, I, I feel like I went through and we went through the experiences we did to show the next generation that, hey, use the tools that are around you. Amen. And yes. uh, like you said, the, the Instagrams of the world, the LinkedIn's of the world, the, the everything really that is available to you for free, it makes no sense not to use it. Exactly. And that actually that actually gets us on to our next topic, which is entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And it's something that has been instrumental uh, to you from a young age, uh, obviously, with your upbringing and everything like that. But being not only being an entrepreneur, but these days being a black entrepreneur is something that shows, especially for someone that has been done, has been an entrepreneur for years, it shows you're resilient. Mm-hmm. And it shows that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it shows that you are really just passionate about what you're doing. So Damn. when we talk entrepreneurship, can you talk about why it's so instrumental and why it was so instrumental to your life and then go into what you're doing right now? Right. So entrepreneurship, again, it was modeled. Um, I know it sounds like a broken record, but it's, it's so true. Everything started at home. Um, I remember my mom being a teacher and trying to supplement her income selling Amway. Or, again, we had a grocery store at one point, a restaurant. Um, my grandmother was a, a cook in, the, in a public school kitchen, but yet she hustled and sold candy, cigarettes, and beer from home. She had her little, <laughs> <laughs> she had her own little, you know, bodega out of her home that, you know, the neighborhood folks uh, would, would you know, come knocking on the door and they'd, you know, buy their candy, cigarettes, or beer. So I saw that entrepreneurial spirit or, you know, that hustle at an early age. And it's just something that I did grow up with. But I I got to see it um, front and center with especially black and brown people, again, growing up in the Caribbean. 
I mean, I didn't know they were millionaires at the time, but I think of um, this one particular gentleman in St. John, James Penn, who had a construction business, had a taxi business, and a garbage business, and then owned a number and owns a number of um, homes and property all throughout the island in St. John. I didn't know it at the time. I was just like, this guy's just a hustler. He's willing to do whatever. He's not afraid to throw on his, you know, beat up jeans and shirt and boots and haul trash. Or, you know, I see him driving a, a big dump truck one moment. And the next moment he's dressing in, you know, in his polo shirt and khaki pants and he's driving a taxi. He was willing to do whatever to provide for his family. Come to find out this man is, again, he's a millionaire. And he's a black man would also tell you too all he has is a high school education um so that entrepreneurial spirit i got to see it i got to witness it and again going i used to be able to ask a lot of questions um of my family and you know my my circle the tribe of people i think of um my godmother who is a trained attorney and eventually rose to the position of attorney general for the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I just remember picking her brain and saying, okay, so why did you want to go into law? Because I thought about going into law at one point, into, mm-hmm. um, into corporate law. Um, again, being able to use these people as they were entrepreneurs in their own right, but using them as almost like a buffet where I got to pick and choose the great dishes that existed within them and learn from them. And that, that formed the entrepreneur that I became and that I am and that I aspire to be. Because once you become an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur for the rest of your life. Like even right now trying to figure out how does this all work going forward with working with these brands? You know, right now we're all sitting at home, uh, working virtually, are we eventually going to have a point in time where we can get together and do marketing plans for a big rollout for an athlete or a lifestyle product? Um, or are we all going to be using, you know, video chats and Zooms for the rest of our life? I don't know. So it's being able to remain nimble enough and willing to try things and know that there's, no, there's nothing set in stone. You're going to try things, you're going to fail, you're going to learn from them, and then pivot and go again. Like, it's really that whole thing of getting knocked down and getting back up. Like, literally, it's that weeble wobble. It's happened. Um, our, our life is, is, the life of the entrepreneur is not a straight line. It truly is that <laughs> up and down, it, it's, it has oh, yeah. and turns. And some days you're feeling it. Uh, and some days I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do any work. I'm just going to chill today. I'm just going to read or I'm going to listen to music. And some days where I'm like on it, I just want, you know, I'm sending proposals or ideas and you're doing multiple things. You know, you're on multiple, like you said earlier, you're on multiple platforms that are free. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm using medium, I'm using Tumblr, um, 
still haven't really figured out TikTok yet. <laughs> but I mean, it's still a big platform um, that people are and businesses are using. You know, or I'm listening to a podcast like Strange on Purpose, or I'm listening to someone like Gary V, or Et the Hip Hop uh, Preacher. Um, Let me ask you. In the the times of COVID, you mentioned that there's some days where you you put your head down and you knock out a ton of work, and then there's some days where I just want to read or I just want to. I feel like more days have really come in the last few weeks where I just want to throw my head in a pillow and just mm-hmm. kind of just chill. What's How's that balance look for you? Um, mm. Because you're providing for a family. You're providing for people every day. Right. And I think there's, I think, I think sharing um, your mental health is something that we as black and brown people don't do enough anyways. But then black, and if you look at entrepreneurs and then you throw the, the black and brown demographic into it, it's rarely shown. Right. So what's what's that look like for you mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur? That's a that's a great question. It's something I've been really focusing on a lot more over these past really I would say about four months because I've had um, a lot going on in my personal life family. Uh, for example, uh, sadly, my great aunt died due to COVID. She was 93 years old. Um, and dealing with that and thank you um and dealing with the family but because of my family um because of of the focus even of of like you know i i my queen she's been able to help me through this that it it, is just amazing so routine is really important to me um for example, she got me into exercising and getting on a stationary bike. And at first, I was not with it. I mean, I, I grew up riding a bicycle all my life in the Caribbean and then stateside for exercise. But to ride a stationary bike, I thought it was boring. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, try it. You know, try the Peloton app. You know what? Now I'm hooked. I'm <laughs> like, I'm hooked. It, it, it's, you know, it's a routine. It's, a, it's a, something that helps me stay focused. My family prayer line every morning helps me start my day and then working out and then checking email, responding to things. Um, our mental health right now is so important to, to have because it's easy to get sidetracked and you feel like you're just underwater and you're struggling to breathe. You're struggling to even tread water. So I think, you know, you have to find that thing that, that brings you joy. Like, so for me now, it's definitely getting on a stationary bike, you know, for half an hour every day. Um, my family prayer time every day. And then knowing that how I'm feeling about the business, am I anxious about it? And I say, you know what? It's not going to be like this forever. It's eventually going to change. And I have to be that water. Um, yeah. If you ever visit Pencil uh, office in, in Portland, Oregon, um, Dwayne Edwards has 
um, has this, this, it's not a poem, but this saying, it's about believe on the wall as you walk in and see your right hand side. And what he does is at the end of any session that you uh, go through with Penn Soul, he gives everyone a little uh, printout, almost the size of a, of, I would say, a, a business card that you can keep, you know, and I keep mine in my wallet. And it's, it's really simple. It's basically talking about having belief in yourself and believing that other people believe in you. And that, those little things, like these little things, just like having um, constant reminders of that you're, you know, that you're smart, that you're born to be great, that you could do all things, you know, I can do all things through Christ, that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Like having that faith for me is really, really important. That helps me stay focused. That helps me when I get down to change my mind, to go from a negative mindset to a positive. Um, I'll give you this one. So you know how, um, you know, you have the word attitude, the word knowledge. um, uh, And a professor, a sociology professor that I had at Bryant, one day she came into the classroom and she wrote the word uh, attitude on the, this is on a chalkboard, so this tells you a little bit of how long ago this was, right? But yeah. um, so she wrote the word the word attitude, and then she's like asking us questions about it. So we're going around the room, blah blah blah. Then she writes the word hard work, and we're talking about hard work and what that means. And then she writes the word knowledge, and then she did something that blew my mind. She she said, okay, now take each letter of the word attitude and give its numerical, um, how it falls in the alphabet. So A is 1, T is 20, T is 20, I is 9, the ninth letter, right? So you add that up and you get 100, right? So if you do the quick math, it adds to 100. Then she did the same thing with the word hard work. Judy McDonald, her sister is an actress. She played the squaw in Dances with Wolves alongside Kevin Costner, right? So, again, fast forward or go back to this moment in time. This is probably 1993, 1994. So she writes the word hard work, and then we break down that word in numerical value, and that gives you 98. Knowledge, the word knowledge, she broke it down again. That gives us 96. And she basically said that your attitude always determines your outcome. This is coming from a sociologist. Hmm. That, again, talk about a eureka moment for me. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, all my life I was told you have to seek knowledge, work hard, and then you'll get the payoff. Well, this is debunked that, right? Like, you have to have the attitude of I'm going to win. I'm willing to win. I'm willing to even when I lose. I can still win because I'm learning something. So that that was one of those moments for me too. And I was like, wow, I love that. I, I, it makes sense. It resonated with me. So I used that when I was a hall director with my RAs. I used that when I coached my daughter's U6 soccer team. It got so good to the point where like, Izzy, we were getting our, ass is blown out 
by this team in Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, all the kids play soccer all year round, and a lot of the families are very wealthy, and they pay, they, they pay for club soccer, right, mm-hmm. and trainers. So my girls at the time were, we were a U-12, under-12 girls traveling team. And we go to Shrewsbury. We're playing on this beautiful field. Shrewsbury comes out and scores four goals. Four in the first half. And I'm like, wow. Like, okay, we practiced all week. We're ready for this game. I prepared them. I felt like I was failing them. When the whistle blew at halftime, and I called them my ladies. Their ladies are walking off the field, coming towards me. And they're huddling and talking about, okay, okay, RB, when you did this, you need to do this. You need to, and they were talking, and they were basically coaching themselves. And they were critiquing, but in a, in a way that it was going to work. And I just took a step back as the head coach and just listened. And then at the end, before, you know, after the last kind of drinks of water, and I said to them, I said, okay, now, all we need is one to start. We need one goal. So within the first three minutes, I want us to score. And as they're, as we, you know, our team was called, you know, uh, Team Red because we wore red jer- jerseys. We cheer. And as they're running back on the field, I yell, attitude equals, and they yell back 100%. So that was kind of our call and response I would yeah. do with them. Don't you know, within the first two minutes, we score. Our smallest player, I'll never forget her. She is like a, a spark plug. She goes out, she puts one in. Okay. And then they're like, okay, here we go. Literally, they're talking. Because they weren't talking in the first half. They were quiet. They were defeated. They, they were taken out of their game, right? All of a sudden, that one goal was the spark that they needed. Now they're talking. Now they're spreading the field. They're moving. And I'm just watching it all. I'm like, wow, this is like, this is what we practice. Within another two minutes, boom, we get our second goal. It's 4-2 now. Probably within three minutes, boom, another goal. And I'm going, okay, here we go. Like, the train is pulled out of the station. We're in full steam. Okay, we lost the game. We lost the game by a score of 5-4. to four. But, and I'm getting emotional right now, I was so proud of them because they didn't lay down. They didn't give up. They knew that they were prepared to leave it all on the field. And even if they lost, but they thought they were going to win, that their attitude was, okay, let's go make this happen. To this hmm. day, these young ladies are now in their 20s and about to be 21. They talk about those moments. Every once in a while, I'll get an email from one of those players, and they say, Coach D, do you remember that Shrewsbury game? And I'll say, oh, man, do I ever. That wow. season, that was probably our third game of the season. We won every other game. We went to the playoffs. We went up against a much better team in our first round. We got knocked out, but nonetheless, I said to them at the, I'll never forget, at the end of our kind of, eat, you know, season celebration, I said, you know, 
thank you for teaching me. And I told him, you taught me the thing about attitude. You taught, you taught me about perseverance, about not taking no for an answer. I mean, I just remember even going back to that Shrewsbury game, these Shrewsbury players were talking so much smack to <laughs> the ladies on the field. And my team shut them up because what did they do? Their play, they elevated, they stepped their game up. And I was like, okay, I mean, I was, I was a proud, you're like, that's like, like, that's a highlight for me. That's like when I put a camera in a young lady's hand and teach her all the basics of F-stop, you know, shutter speed, you know, framing and everything. At first, the pictures are not so good. And then they get to the point where they're really good. And then she says, that's a dope picture. I'm like, yep. And you did that. Like, that, that's what I love. So I, I get those moments. Um, and and it's, it's just a beautiful thing. I've had it happen even uh, in the sneaker industry where um, see someone who came up from college and now they're a footwear designer at Adidas or at Nike or at New Balance. And I'm like, I remember you when you were, right? I mean, it's like a proud parent moment, I guess you want to call it. But that's what you want. You want people to win. I want people to win. So, and that goes back to entrepreneurship. It's that attitude that, that by any means necessary, um, not willing to take no for an answer, trying things, failing, learning, reassessing, and, and going again. I think the art of the pivot is something that you have had a grasp on for a long time but and you know why that's what? because of that's because of and i don't think i've ever said this on a on a podcast or even shared it on the osd podcast that's because i saw my mother have to do with my biological father hmm. and 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 particularly leaving him she knew she wanted better for herself and ultimately me. Wow. And she knew she had to do it as hard as it was. It's like she knew the relationship and marriage was over and she had to leave for the betterment of herself and for me. And I'm, I was her only child. I'm her only child. Yeah. And as a, as a, you know, she used to always say this too, as a big black man, you know, you have to learn how to uh, navigate and be able to walk in a room and be okay in any space that you're in and know that you're there for a reason and that you also stand, you know, I also stand on the shoulders of my ancestors. You know, I, I could still, I could talk about my biological father because I realized he could only do what he could. And this was a man that was an addict. Um, and I know that. I know myself well enough to know what my things, you know, what my addictions are, you know, what I get obsessed about. You know, that's why obsessive sneaker disorder came about. You know, uh, that, that, that didn't happen by accident. It's, it's all, yeah. 
when when I say I'm intrigued to hear this from your perspective, your answer, I mean, um, when I ask you, when it's all said and done, what impact do you want to leave on the world? Mm. What's the first thing that comes to mind? That I cared about people. Hmm. That I was passionate about people. That I love my family. Um, I try to help help other people every day, um, which is hope. H O P E. Help other people every day. That's what I try to do. Um, it starts with me because if it's like they tell you to put your your mask on first before someone else. If you're on a plane, it's the same thing. I have to be well so that I can help other people. Mm-hmm. So I can give them a word to say, you know what? Yeah, what you're going through right now sucks, but it's not going to be like that always. Um, there's a powerful word, and it's three letters called yet, Y-E-T, meaning like you haven't done it yet. I haven't learned to ride a bicycle yet. I haven't jumped out of a plane and parachuted yet. I haven't started my most successful business yet. Um, and that's how I think. So if I could leave anything with you and the listeners is learn to embrace the word yet. You haven't done it yet. You know, we're all works in progress. We're all trying new things. Be okay learning and experiencing them and having fun and build your circle Talk to everyone. Treat everyone with respect. I mean, it's the simple things for me. It's the golden rule. Like, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can help you, I'm going to help you. If I can't, I'm going to tell you, I can't help you right now. But getting comfortable with uh, yet is really something that I've been working on um, really solid for the past like five, six years. D, when people listen to this, they're going to figure out like, or figure, hey, I want to find out more about D or obsessive <laughs> sneaker disorder or anything like that. Where where can people find you? Absolutely. Um, D Wells OSD on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on LinkedIn, everywhere. That's, that's where you can find me. I'm on all those platforms. Um, I'm random because I, I'll certainly be posting some sneakers and then the next thing you know, you'll see like some coffee, some Cafe Bustelo or, <laughs> <laughs> or some dead stock coffee or some Main Street Coffee Roasters coffee. I love coffee. I, you know, that is one of my vices. That's something I'm, I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with coffee. I am. Just like I'm obsessed with sneakers. But more importantly, I'm obsessed with people. Like I love people. I love you know, I love, like, Strange on Purpose is a beautiful creation that you had in your 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 mind. And then you created it. You, you're doing it. And just that is, is, is amazing. Like, that's to be celebrated. That's to say, you know what? Congratulations. Keep going, Izzy. Keep going. I appreciate that. You never that. know where this journey is going to take you. I appreciate that. I feel it. I, uh, I'm excited for the future. Awesome. And we all can, awesome. everybody can be uh, excited as well as long as we all wear masks. 
<laughs> well, D, I appreciate you jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And, um, yeah, as we always say, as we would end the um, OSB talk show, keep your laces tight tightly, your tongue loose, and walk good. Yo, thanks for listening to today's episode. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the Strange on Purpose podcast. And if you haven't already, please review the podcast. It helps me a ton. Subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Strange on Purpose.